Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining me. This is Shane Claiborne, and I am so excited uh, to be with you today. I also got a great guest I'll introduce in a minute. But, you know, on this show, we're talking about how our faith connects to the world that we live in and uh, is not just a ticket into heaven but is about engaging and transforming um, the broken world that we live in right now. And, you know, one of the things that strikes me as I look at Scripture and you read through the red letters of the gospel are all the proper nouns, uh, the small towns that Jesus lived in and uh, walked through. And I, I, I went to some of those towns. I got to go on a couple of trips to the Holy Land. And you go to like Capernaum and uh, you're like, wow. <laughs> this is it. You know, there's like 400 families or something that live there, but it was so humbling and beautiful to realize that these are real houses that Jesus was in. These are real neighborhoods that Jesus uh, lived in. And some of those neighborhoods had a reputation. You know, people said nothing good could come from Nazareth and, and God's kind of reclaiming Nazareth. Hallelujah. And, and transforming the world from from you know what we see right now into what God wants it to be. So seeking the kingdom of God is not just about going to heaven when we die, but about uh, imagining God's dream coming on earth as it is in heaven. And uh, so I'm excited about my conversation partner today because he's doing a lot of that great work. And I got a chance to be out in Ohio um, with Bryson. And uh, Bryson Davis is a pastor and professor. He's also an organizer. And the reason that, I, I mean, there's a lot of great reasons to have Bryson on the show, but I thought one of the things, you know, as I was thinking of you, man, is that there are, there, there's something to finding the gospel in a place and going, what does it look like to seek the kingdom of God in my neighborhood, on my block, in our city, and not just vaguely like, you know, God so loved the whole world, but God also loves Akron. You know, God loves uh, your block. And mm-hmm. when I came out there, that shirt y'all gave us, it's got like all the different neighborhoods, you know, um, out there in Ohio where you're organizing. Um, but first of all, um, you know, for folks that don't know you, talk talk just a little bit about how you've grown to love your place, you know, because I, that, that's one of the things that struck me when I was out there. How it feels like you're, you feel so called to, um, to your, your particular place, man. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah, I, I feel like, uh, we're all sort of indoctrinated. We're all constantly being indoctrinated by, you know, if we're alive, we're being indoctrinated by things around us. And, uh, in, in in my context, in the American in the American context, uh, we have careers, not places. We have callings, not places. We have everything but a place. Um, place has become largely irrelevant, um, and 
there's many reasons for that, which I'm sure you've you've talked about on on this podcast. But uh, and so that that that's my starting point. That's my frame of reference. Is really my place. I'm not really that all that connected to my place. Um, and it was this sort of uh, encounter with 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 Jesus with Yahweh that awakened me to the importance of that that um, uh, that sort of uh, shook me and um, allowed me to see the ways that uh, I had sort of been experiencing a disembodied gospel uh, mm. that not only disembodied from my place but also from my own self from my own body. Um, and so as, as God began the healing work of, uh, embodying, uh, of embodiments and, and, and allowing me to be more embodied in a place, more embodied in my body as a place, more embodied as my physical spaces, um, in a place, um, uh, that, that, um, that was all sort of the, the healing journey of, uh, of awakening, um, and my heart breaking for the ways that God loves place, right? Me looking through scriptures and surveying, um, from Genesis of, uh, of this this narrative of, of of the biblical story beginning in a place and then ending in a place um and just the importance of place as you pay attention to it you're like wow uh this thing um uh, this thing place really uh matters <laughs> throughout yeah, yeah. most of this tradition that i've been following my whole life but i've never really thought of it that way and so god really broke my heart as i began to explore the scriptures uh which shows the importance of scriptures but also um, awakened my sensitivities to just the value um, of place. And even as you think about other traditions and then indigenous and native people, native traditions and um, uh, uh, non-Western traditions that are much more connected to place. Um, as I explored those as well, my heart began to fall in love with, with place and specifically Akron and the place where I was rooted. You know, people would ask me questions like, what, you know, where would you move or go to if you, you know, if you could do anything in the world? And I, I always had a hard time answering that question. Because I was like, I'm I'm in love and I'm cool with this place right here, right now, and the people who make this place up and all the beautiful resources that that make Akron Akron. Yeah, you know, I think as I'm listening to you, I think of that, you know, in in the Gospel of John when it says uh, that God moved into the neighborhood, basically, you know, God put flesh on and moved in among mm-hmm. us. And um, when I when I think about, you know. The, one of some of my best theology, Bryson. You know, you know this like comes from the ground up. You know, from neighbors and from like living on this block. And one of my neighbors who speaks Spanish, she she said, uh, you know, sometimes the theologians make this stuff too complicated. And she was talking about the incarnation, and she says, uh, mm. you know, you know, in Spanish, you order your burrito con carne. It means with meat, and that that's that's what you know happens in Jesus is God. Mm comes with flesh, you know, with meat and and shows us what love is like, shows us what God is like, God's love on full display. Um, mm-hmm. But then, you know, we're called to to now participate in that incarnation. If we believe we're the body of Christ, right, that we're actually to flesh out that love um, in the world. And, you know, as, as you look at the church, we're not always great at that. We're, we're good at going to meetings where, you know, sometimes we're, you know, doing worship services, things like that. But when it comes to like actually living out that love and in ways that impact neighborhoods, right. Um, there's, there's all kinds of beautiful things happening within your network, uh, the CCDA, the Christian community development association, I think is one of those places where you can see some skin, <laughs> you know, uh, some flesh of, of love. 
Um, but talk about, you know, what that looks like, you know, in, in, in your context to not just reduce Christianity to a doctrinal statement, but to try to incarnate that love in Akron and, you know, uh, as we live. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of ways that we sort of, uh, you know, flesh this out, Carne. Uh, uh, and I think the first that comes to mind is we uh, we have a church, a local church in a community that um, our aim is to not be a commuter church. Right. So we we want to worship and 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 play and live and 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 grieve and celebrate all those things together as a fellowship in our place um, and be a church, not just for the community and not just in the community, but of our community. And mm. so that's that's really important to us. Um, and that doesn't mean we're as I know, and like anytime you're on a podcast or something, you're talking to heroes of the faith and I'm no hero and our church is not doing anything perfectly. <laughs> so let that be known. Uh, but that's our aim. And we really want to be rooted in a place where we know our neighbors and um, if they need five bucks, they're not afraid to ask, <laughs> you know, and yeah, yeah. we're not afraid to, 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 to lend it to them or give it to them. Uh, we're not afraid to, uh, we know our neighbors enough to break bread with them and have meals with them. Um, and so there's a sort of relational uh, fabric that exists um, in our places that we're very intentional about, about uh, fostering and nurturing and cultivating. Um, and then there's, you know, the ways that we have to engage and also the sort of systemic issues uh, of our place, right, where we want to engage in uh, organizing work so we can um, uh, do justice through policies and do justice mm. through also that's also relational work, right? It's not just that we can uh, th what you do at the, the voting poll is, in the booth is really important. But the organizing part is relational. And so building relationships with our city officials and our delegates and and uh, not just, again, uh, constantly being indoctrinated into these exploitative or like transactional relationships, but really trying to actually build genuine relationships uh, mm -hmm. with these folk in our places uh, so that we know each other. And these there's, there's trust building and we're, and we're trying to build some trust uh, with police officers and, and reconcile um, some relationships there between the community and the police. And, and again, that is this uh, big sort of amalgamation or, or a connection of both um, the relationships we're building in our communities with our neighbors and the relationships we're building um, with uh, upper level pol politicians um, and those in between and how that connects to policy as well as our daily practices. Yeah. And the, and the gathering that you had me come out to in, in Ohio, one of the things that was awesome was how it was, you just felt like you were a part of the fabric of the neighborhood, you know, uh, mm -hmm. it, it, like lunch wasn't grabbing a bunch of Domino's pizzas or something. It was, you know, a local restaurant that you know everybody at. And I, I think that uh, that's kind of what we're trying to build up, you know, on the north side of Philadelphia too. But when it comes to like some of those, like the businesses, the people who get the vision, um, it feels like there's a real natural collaboration, even if folks don't share your faith. Um, and sometimes mm -hmm. it's harder to work with Christians, to be honest, right? Because we've got all these divisions that, um, uh, and uh, when, when we were doing our, our prayer book, common prayer, one of the things that we found out is that there's over 30,000 Christian denominations. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> We've divided over like everything imaginable. And, um, I mean, in, in sad, I mean, it's not funny at all, but I mean, a lot of those, we killed each other over some of these things like 
whether or not this is really the body and blood and we're, we're killing other Christians over, you know, whether infants should be baptized or whatever. So I like when, when it comes to Jesus's longest recorded prayer in John, it's that we would be one as God is one. And I felt that like really sincere unity building, not the kind of cliche, you know, it's just all hold hands and say the Lord's prayer, but like, let's really try to have the heart of God together and, and work in our city. You, you got any, I, I know th- we're, th- we're, there's not like easy anecdotes on, on any of this, but um, you got any stories or thoughts on how you build some of that unity within, you know, kind of, multi-faith or especially within like people that share the Christian faith, but um, really interpret the priorities of the Christian faith differently. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is tough. I think um, uh, there's uh, sometimes there's beauty and there can be beauty in, and this sounds a paradoxical beauty, beauty and division, right? This idea of like, I think of, you know, my experience as an African-American man in, in my country and, and uh, that uh, there's a sort of um, uh, birth out of the, uh, uh, the white supremacist, what racist uh, empire of the church that was complicit in all of those issues of racism and things uh, in this uh, 17th century and and uh, and on was this beautiful thing called the black church right mm. um and it became sort of an element of survival and so there's there's the sort of sometimes forgive me i call like the petty divisions of like you know which day should you worship on and yada 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 and that's important for a lot of people so i understand that um but then there's the thing of like i need this to survive like i need this yeah. group i want to look around and and, and and i don't want to have to explain myself to people and I want to feel like we're in solidarity just because we're in this space and we know. Um, and I think though sometimes there's some space for these um, uh, uh, subcultures uh, of, of groups that, that need a space for themselves to exist in. And sometimes it's not just by cultural identity, but also by your ideas. And sometimes that's okay. But um, my, my wisdom uh, or at least my experience with, with, with doing this sort of like work of unity, genuine work of unity, authentic work of unity is that we one have to show up in our authentic selves. Um, and two, we have to really count the cost. I, I know that sounds really like cliche and generic, but uh, I think what I've experienced is people will say, we have to count the cost. But then as soon as you say, hey, we're going to do this thing that pushes up against the thing that you're not comfortable with, they bow out. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I can't do it because like my uh, my elders are going to get on me. <laughs> you know, I can't do it because like, what are, what are these people going to say about me? And I have to preserve my institution. I have to do these different things to save face. And so on one hand, we're saying there's cognitive dissonance. We're saying unity, unity, unity. We know John 17. We know Jesus's prayer. On the other hand, our, our behaviors and our actions are really about self-preservation, um, and institutional and self-preservation. And so like, I think it is quite cliche, but is the simple sort of simple way, uh, uh, Shane, which is to say, uh, like, are you really, really willing to count the cost to, uh, to sit at the metaphor, like metaphorical table, like the table that Jesus sets where like, uh, according to my interpretation of Jesus, like everyone's welcome at the table, literally. Yeah, Yeah. 
And that doesn't mean at the table now we're going to have these amazing conversations all the time <laughs> and it's going to be like super kumbaya. Like there's probably going to be a lot of discomfort at the table. You may not want to eat what was prepared at the table. Uh, you may be mad because the person who you thought would not even be at the table has the head of the seat, had like has the like the seat at the table and gets <laughs> to determine. And, and, and then they're saying the prayer. They're not even ordained at the table. Like the table is uncomfortable as ever. And we don't want to like feel that discomfort at the table. And I think if we're willing to be brave and bold and courageous enough to feel that pain of difference um, and differ graciously, we might actually see this sort of a manifestation of Jesus's prayer for unity. Such a good word. Uh, y'all, y'all um, you've been listening to Bryson Davis, who's a pastor, professor, organizer, uh, especially out in Ohio. I mean, he's doing great stuff that has ripples all over the country, but um, uh, really rooted in Ohio. And um uh, and this is Shane Claiborne. If you're just t- tuning in, thanks for listening in on the show. And, uh, you know, as we as we continue talking, I was thinking as you were sharing all that, Bryson, that um, there, there's sort of a counterfeit mm-hmm. unity. You know, so many people have said it in different ways. Martin Luther King, you know, talked about um, th- that, you know, real peace is not just the absence of conflict or the absence of tension, but it's a presence of justice. I mean, that's that's the hard, deep unity building that is, you know, seeking the liberation uh, of everyone, including those who who hate us, you know. Um, um, and, you know, Bonhoeffer talked about cheap grace and 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 how we can cheapen the cost of discipleship just by, you know, uh, um, reducing it to a... a um, set of doctrines or something, you know, and Dorothy Day and Dostoevsky talked about love being a harsh and dreadful thing, not like the sentimental love of fairy books and, you know, fairy tales and storybooks. But I think that that love is what we need right now. You know, Mother Teresa, she said that uh, following Jesus is simple, but that doesn't mean it's easy. You know, we need we need a more robust faith. Um, I, I think a lot of young people are leaving the church, not, you know, because we've made the gospel too hard, but because we made it too easy. We've just kind of made it this this um, superficial thing. And the, and the work that you're doing is is really deep and it's responding to real injustices. Right. So um, let, let's talk a little bit about what that looks like for the church to show up. Right. So when you know, something like what happened to Jalen Walker um, when he was killed. Um, It's easy to feel exhausted or overwhelmed or intimidated to get out in the streets or, you know, at a loss on what to do, you know, and, and yet like you keep pressing in, you keep organizing, you know, it's it's one more uh, case, uh, you know, of someone um, abused and, uh, um, so t- talk about that. You know, what, what does it look like to continue to show up um, and to read, you know, as as um, as Carl Bart said, the, the Bible in one hand, the newspaper in the other, you know, to really engage our neighborhoods and, and the crises that when they arise. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think it's always important to keep um, uh, what's at stake in, in, in your gaze. And uh, I think these um these tragedies like Jalen Walker, like, like the state sanctioned murder of, of Jalen Walker, like that's 
that's a tragedy that maybe for folks that are listening overseas, maybe just give a little bit of a backdrop, you know, who Jalen was and what happened in case folks don't know. Yeah. So Jalen was an Akron resident, an African-American young male um, here in Akron. And, um, uh, you know, he's driving around and there's, there's a lot of um, sort of details in there that that I'll I'll spare, but um, yeah, Ultimately, he's actually just down the street from where I live. Um, uh, the police were chasing him, and he uh, ultimately got uh, shot. Um, I think there was something like eighty or ninety bullets shot at Jalen Walker by the police officers, um, and I think forty-one of them or, or so pierced his flesh. And I use that language on purpose because uh, it harkens to uh, the flesh of the Christ that we uh, so much honor, but uh, so oftentimes don't honor the flesh of the body of Christ, who, who is us right um, now. Um, and so um, regardless of like where you stand on the issue, uh, there's a, sort of a consensus that 41 bullets to a body is quite excessive. Um, and and I'm we're part of a movement where we're trying to sort of promote nonviolence at large, right? So uh, that's that's one approach to it. Um, but even, even if you're not a complete advocate of nonviolence, you know, shooting at someone who's unarmed uh, that many times is, uh, is, is reasonably inappropriate. Um, mm. So, so that's Jalen Walker. So he, he was shot to death um, by, by the uh, police. And, um, and so there's been a, a lot of uh, uh, movement and organizing around that. And um, mm. there was a March just last week or the week before that. And um, again, just trying to get people to show up for the march. You know, I'm I'm not even personally like a, a marcher. I wouldn't call myself a protester necessarily in that in that way. Like uh, I'm more of a thought leader, I guess. But but I show up to the march. You know, uh, in spite of who else is there. You know, sometimes again, we don't want to really do unity. We're like, well, I'll, yeah, we're in for the march, but oh oh, they're coming. Uh, no, I can't really be about that. Yeah. So, like, you know, so then we we bow out. Um, but you know, show up for the march, and and the most the, the most meaningful part of the march for me was at the end when Jalen Walker's mom tearfully is expressing gratitude for all the support that's come around her and their family over the last um, month or so, a uh, couple months, and so uh, that's what it's really about. It's yeah. it's like uh, these like theology costs lives, um, and our actions and our our unity or our our lack thereof. Uh, can either cost lives or can promote life. And I think like our, uh, our efforts to organize around this and pr- uh, promote uh, issue 10, which is an issue that we've come up with to add greater accountability for police, greater transparency and greater, con- uh, greater um, relationship and connections between police officers and, and the police department and our Akron community by providing a community oversight board. So that's great. Yeah. So this is like real tangible actions that we want to implement and and bring some beauty out of the ashes of Jalen's death um, while coming alongside the family and being an agent of love and reconciliation and peace. Yeah, man, I I know that we need that so much. I mean, uh, a lot of countries are looking in and and seeing how dysfunctional our uh, country is on so many levels, but particularly policing the fact that police oversee police <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there's, um, and I mean we were told by one of the oversight boards in Philly because we witnessed an absolutely um, 
heart-wrenching case of police misconduct to a man that was struggling with homelessness and they were cursing him out and telling him mm. he deserved to die in the gutter and all, all this. So, so we were all there, you know, and we reported this and they literally said to us, nothing happens unless you have it on tape. And and the thing is that, you know, this stuff has been around, like racism didn't get worse. It just got recorded, right? <laughs> it began to get like exposed thanks, thanks to, you know, Black Lives Matter and so many other movements that are, you know, really committed to um, putting a name and face on things like systemic injustice or, you know, police misconduct. Um, but Christians like to show up and be in the forefront. I think you, you gave such a good word that um, you're uncomfortable sometimes. Like the dinner table with Jesus was uncomfortable sometimes. I mean, especially turning water into wine. I mean, that's going to offend every Baptist, you know, and then you got like, I mean, I look at these stories in the gospel and you got a zealot and a tax collector sitting next to each other. I mean, these were not natural friends, <laughs> you know, um, and it's uncomfortable. And I, I've come to think, you know, I heard this growing up, we run this by you, Bryson, but like this idea that we're making a sacrifice of worship, you know, and it, it's just kind of like language, right? Like, I don't even know exactly what I meant by that, but now I know what I mean by it, that there are times where I show up that it's not the way that I might do it, or it's, it's, it's different music than I'm used to, or like you said, the foods that, you know, like there's something that's, that's just uncomfortable for me. And maybe that's what it means to actually be in worship outside of something that is just self-centered, right? To be with people who um, are different, you know, that they're, what they're familiar with is different from what I'm familiar with. And to show up in those spaces um, can feel like a sacrifice of worship, but maybe it's holy when we show up for each other, you know, even if it's uncomfortable. So, man, the, this this time flew by. So um, tell people how they can follow you in just the last second here, man. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not on any social media. I'm an oddball um, as a millennial with no social media, but uh, you can email me at Bryson, my first name, B-R-Y-S-O-N, at Akron, L as in leadership, F as in foundation, dot O-R-G. Um, you can also find me on at Malone University as well. So. Heck yeah. And uh, if you're not familiar with CCDA, check out the Christian Community Development Association too, a group that is real inspirational to all of us, ccda.org. Been a great time together. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Bryson. Mm -hmm. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.